Welcome back to the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. My name is Woodrow Bellamy III, and today's episode is actually part one of a four-part podcast series we'll be doing looking at the impact of the global coronavirus outbreak on different segments of the aviation industry. The virus has hit aviation very hard, grounding an overwhelming amount of travel as governments try to control its spread. Airline industry conferences have, of course, been impacted as well, and our GCAS summit is no exception. We're still trying to determine the best way to safely move forward with that event, and we'll definitely let you know as soon as possible what the latest updates are there. But on today's episode of the podcast, we're focusing on how the virus affected commercial airlines. Um, I'll be interviewing two analysts from Frost and Sullivan in a little while. But first, the International Air Transport Association, better known as IATA, held a media call this week to discuss the current state of affairs. Um, IATA represents about 280 airlines globally that support up to 2.7 million jobs. One of the updates they shared during their call was that tens of thousands of airline employees have actually already been furloughed as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, on Tuesday, March 24th, IATA's chief economist, Brian Pierce, shared the organization's latest forecast for the outbreak of coronavirus and how that will impact the commercial airline industry in 2020. Um, at this point, IATA is projecting that the airline industry will collectively lose up to $250 billion in revenue this year, and that would be about a 44% decline compared to 2019. Now, based on the announced plans of airlines through March 24th, which was the day that IATA held this media briefing, um, they are also projecting that the second quarter of 2020, which of course begins next month, will hit the European region the hardest because that is where the most severe travel restrictions exist currently. Um, the chief economist for IATA, one of the things that he told the media during that call is that airline capacity in Europe is projected to be down by about 90% in all of Europe compared to the second quarter of 2019. And he described that as effectively a closure of the European commercial airline market. Um, you know, Pierce also discusses how IATA supports government bailouts from airlines. He'll also compare uh, what they're projecting as far as how the coronavirus outbreak will impact the commercial airline industry compared to past events such as 9-11 and the 2008 financial crisis. So here's IATA's chief economist discussing um, how the organization sees the outbreak of the coronavirus hitting the commercial airline industry in 2020 and beyond. Okay, so um, what has changed since our last uh, assessment of the impact of COVID-19 on the uh, airline industry, particularly the airline industry's revenues? Um, well, in particular, we've seen a dramatic increase in the number of travel, travel restrictions, which, you know, in effect are closing down international um, aviation. And you'll see a map here showing countries with severe travel restrictions, and that now covers 98% of uh, passenger uh, revenues. Um, so the um, worst case scenario that we presented uh, just two weeks ago, um, showing a $113 billion loss of passenger revenues in 2020, which was 
you know, equivalent to 19% of what we would have expected, um, has been overtaken uh, by events. And I'll uh, share with you what our new estimates are in a minute. Um, but firstly, um, it's not all bad news. Um, we are seeing uh, some signs of a turning point in the Chinese domestic market, um, as you can see um, here, certainly the the March numbers, which is month two following the start of the crisis, um, is is showing a you know is showing an improvement, and we're we're certainly getting those reports uh, from uh, the the market. Um, yes, uh, that's also confirmed by uh, looking at passenger yields in the first two weeks of March in the Chinese domestic market. Chinese airlines had been having to discount seats by you know, what, 25% or so compared to a year ago in February, uh, that's stabilizing. So so that's um, a positive sign. However, um, for the industry as a whole, that is absolutely not what's happening. Um, the spread of uh, COVID-19 cases outside of the Asia-Pacific region is very dramatically hitting bookings, as well as obviously the closure of borders that we're seeing. This shows the numbers for the travel month of March. And the uh, the problem is that um, that is leading to imported cases uh, of COVID-19 in those countries in Asia um, where there had been some success with the containment policy. And at one point, um, governments were thinking possibly of relaxing travel restrictions. But as you can see, those imported cases from Europe and from the Middle East have led once more to a, a fall um, in bookings for the Asia Pacific region and for China international, though not for China domestic, um, and indeed is leading to this uh, series of uh, closures, travel restrictions in Asia Pacific as well. Um, and indeed, it's not just the fall in passenger numbers uh, that airlines are facing. Uh, if you look at the yields that we've seen for March travel, airlines have been you know, very sharply discounting. In previous crises, this has, this has helped bring passengers back. Um, it's not uh, this time. And obviously, the fall in yields is adding to the pressures on revenues. So um, what sort of shape do we think will be the profile for uh, travel markets? Um, in all previous pandemics, we've seen the bottom, the worst point three months after the crisis, and then three to four months after that, a return to pre-crisis levels. The big, well, there were two differences between COVID-19 and past pandemics. The first is that this has spread globally, uh, and we are seeing, you know, you know community spread um, in many countries, which means even if there is a v-shape to the recovery it's an overlapping series uh, which extends the crisis but more importantly we have never seen a pandemic um, coincide with the deep global recession which is now expected and that will in our view uh, well that will almost certainly mean that the recovery the travel recovery once travel restrictions are lifted, which we hope will happen um, in the next few months, uh, will delay recovery. And so it'll be a much more gradual upward slope. And to give you some idea of this, this is the latest March forecast from the 
economics firm Oxford Economics, which shows the depth of the global recession that is expected this year. Um, this shows global GDP growth, um, you know, and we've only ever seen a negative number for global GDP growth in the global financial uh, crisis. Um, this will lead to obviously job losses and weak consumer confidence, which will undoubtedly delay uh, a return to travel. Um, I should point out that the expectation amongst those economic forecasters is that we will see a strong 2021 economic recovery, and that's largely on the back of the, the massive fiscal stimulus that we're starting to see from governments. Um, and if you look at the red line, you'll see that you know, that selection of country stimulus packages that have been announced all range between 10 and 20% of annual GDP. So, you know, these are pretty massive numbers. Central banks are also extending credit lines and loan guarantees. Um, the challenge, though, is that that recovery is unlikely to come very quickly. Um, and in the meantime, we're faced with an extraordinarily sharp uh, downturn. And these are the assumptions around which we have based our revised forecasts for 2020 passenger traffic and airline revenues. And we've based, um, if you, particularly if you look at the second quarter of 2020, um, you know, in a region like Europe, we're expecting to see airline capacity down 90%. That's an effective closure, at least for a time during that, uh, that second uh, quarter. And, you know, similarly uh, in the Middle East uh, as well, and in varying degrees in other regions. Um, in previous pandemics, you would have expected a rapid recovery in the third quarter. Um, we think the recession will delay this. And so you've, you've got some pretty large negative numbers still in the third quarter. And by the fourth quarter of this year, we still see the industry some you know, 10% below um, where we would previously have expected. The consequence of that profile is that um, well, it's these numbers for RPKs or passenger numbers for 2020 compared to last year. Um, and uh, we're expecting for the industry as a whole to see RPKs down, you know, almost 40%. You know, we think on average down by 38% in 2020. Uh, previously, we had thought there'd be a fall of something like 16%. So this is, um, you know, this is actually more than double as a result of the travel restrictions that we've seen. And in terms of revenues, previously we had thought that the industry might see revenues down 113 billion or 19%. Um, you know, what this suggests now is that we'll see a revenue loss compared to 2019 of over $250 billion, which is something like 44% down on 2019 levels. Um, you know, clearly this is a, you know, a tremendous revenue shock. Um, as I said earlier, the economic forecasters are expecting fiscal stimulus and central bank stimulus um, to bring about a strong 2021 recovery. The challenge is that the scale of that sort of revenue recovery is hitting an industry where balance sheets are actually not very strong outside of the top 30 airlines. So there are lots of debt servicing and fixed obligations for airlines to have to pay. 
And you know, in terms of the cash available, um, and this was a chart we released last week, you know, the typical airline, the median airline, which is shown by the orange dot in the middle of those bars, typically had had about two months worth of cash and cash equivalent at the start of the year. So the challenge is that before any recovery takes place, um, uh, airlines may well run out of cash, which is why you know we're saying these are extraordinary times and are calling for governments as well as supplier support um, to preserve the air transport industry. So that was Brian Pierce, chief economist for IATA, and uh, an interesting announcement that also took place on the same day as their media briefing was that Europe's largest airline by passenger numbers, Ryanair, which is based in Ireland operates more than 450 Boeing 737s. They posted to their Twitter account that unless they receive any new government advice, they actually do not expect to operate any flights at all for all of April and May. And now our two guests for today are analysts with Frost and Sullivan. I'll let them introduce themselves, starting with Mike, followed by Timothy. Thanks, Woodrow. Uh, I'm Mike Blades. I am the uh, Vice President for Aerospace Defense and Security uh, for the Americas for Frost & Sullivan. I've been working for the company for going on my ninth year, and I started working for them uh, right after I retired from the uh, Air Force. That should be in the Air Force for 25 years. And Timothy? Yeah, this, I'm Timothy Cooter. I, uh, I have uh, 29 years in the uh, aerospace industry, uh, mainly in the maintenance uh, sector. Um, I was at uh, Northwest Airlines for uh, almost uh, 10 years as a uh, as a lead mechanic, and then uh, from there I moved on to uh, the Boeing company where I spent almost a decade. And as uh, while I was at Boeing, I was uh, in San Antonio at the, uh, the base working on military aircraft as well as uh, several uh, commercial platforms, and uh, did some uh, time on the 787 as well, down in uh, South Carolina. Well, thanks to both of you for, you know, uh, making time and joining us on the podcast call today. Um, you know, we're really trying to kind of understand, like I mentioned, how this, you know, the outbreak of this virus is impacting uh, the business, kind of the operations of, of airlines, and then the broader industry and supply chain and, and manufacturers. Um, so just want to start off with, with each of you trying to give us kind of a sense of what area of the commercial airline industry for U.S. carriers has been hit hardest by the outbreak of the coronavirus? You can go first, Tim. I'll follow up. Okay. Yeah. You know, so the, the uh, obviously at the, at the beginning, it's been the international travel has been hit the hardest, but now we're uh, seeing that domestic is uh, taking a big hit also. You know, I, I, uh, I was at Northwest Airlines up in uh, one of, one of their uh, major hubs at Detroit uh, during 9/11, and the uh, the feeling of the last couple of weeks it really it really has uh, mirrored my feeling that I had when I was uh, when I was at Northwest. You know, it's like, um, and it, it seems like you know with 9/11 it lasted for for like a week, and uh, this we're going on three weeks, and, and it looks like we have months to come, and uh, it's. Uh, just kind of an eerie feeling uh, in the whole industry for aerospace. And Mike, did you have any thoughts as well? I kind of want to focus on the, the number of flights. It, I think we are just seeing the beginning of 
the reduction of the number of flights. I think uh, Southwest announced today they're they're reducing their number of flights from about 4,000 a day to about 1,600 a day. So, you know, you know what is that, a 70% decrease or so? Um, I think that's going to be standard across the board because they're not filling up aircraft, um, obviously, because not only do people not want to travel, but they're kind of restricted from traveling. And, and um, I think that's going to continue for a while. I'm not sure how long. I think anybody knows. But I agree with Tim. I think it's going to be sort of like 9-11, but accentuated because this is more of a global issue. So we can talk about U.S. airlines, but um, a lot of obviously the majors that come out of the U.S. are going to be affected globally as well. And and, and probably a little more because th- those are the more lucrative, more expensive routes and the, the more cash generating routes. So it's going to be interesting to see how long it takes for this to play out. But I think it's going to, I think the recovery might take a substantial amount of time longer than what uh, 9-11 did again, because it's more of a global thing. And I also, I'm going to, I'm going to be interested to see what happens if there are any procedural changes that occur after this, that might increase costs or might be uh, more expensive to the traveler because there may, and I haven't heard of this, but I'm just thinking um, from a, from an operational perspective with something that, that that's this game changing. And, uh, you know, we've had pandemics before, but never at this scale globally, where maybe the air carriers, maybe just to be safe, maybe to be more competitive, go into more uh, a focus on how they clean the airplanes in between flights and how uh, how stringent they are on the on the cleanliness, and you know m- m- might cost more. It may uh, it may not. I don't know. I'm just thinking that that might be one of the things that I'm thinking about that could be a repercussion uh, added on just to the. Uh, the, the lowering in traffic uh, from this the epidemic and how long it takes. Yeah, and you, you mentioned something, you know, very pertinent. Is it is a global issue. Um, you know, almost every flight information region from Europe to the Middle East, Asia Pacific, are, uh, have seen passenger demand go way down. They're doing way less flights right now. Um, there's a company called Plane Plane. Uh, Plane Finder that just released a tool today comparing how many flights airlines were doing on March 16th versus March 23rd, and it's just a drastic number, every carrier in the U.S. Um, it, but I wanted to get you all's thoughts. How does this compare to the past, you know, big events of most recent that we know of, the 2008 financial crisis and 9-11? How does this outbreak compared to those because i mean it's all with this event it's almost like information changes every day well Woodrow, i'd like to add something uh before we move on i think tim's probably better to answer that question overall if you're comparing it to events like 9-11 and um and other things that may have happened to curb air travel but uh just to add we, we sort of focused in that previous question about the majors and large airlines um i think we're, we're going to see a much more, a much larger impact is on the smaller airlines. T- Tim and I just happen to be working on a on a project where we are looking at what's going on with airlines, small, a lot of smaller airlines globally, and every single airline that I've looked at that maybe operates forty to fifty smaller aircraft. Um, if they're not if they're not curbing their uh, flights, you know, eighty or ninety percent, they're completely shutting down. And the problem with that is a lot of those small airlines, they operate on, you know, very thin margins already. And uh, many of them were struggling to make a profit at it as, as it was. 
So there may be a, a, a huge fallout with a lot of those air, airlines not coming back from this. Um, so, so com- but comparison, if you want to, I'll start with comparison to 9-11. And I think uh, my largest uh, worry is just, again, what we talked about, the global effect rather than just the effect on the U.S. Um, I, we shut our airspace down in that that time frame, and that had a lot to do with, you know, um, how long it took us to recover. We, we, we shut it down for a while, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't due to uh, uh, something that keeps people from wanting to travel to, as much as this will. It, it, this, this is, to me, it, it, it's kind of apples and oranges when you compare a, the threat of a terrorist attack against something that is very so, so uh, pervasive and can you know reach everyone, and the odds are much higher of actually contracting. And if there's some, you know, if you come in contact with somebody, when you compare that to the odds of being you know, affected by some kind of, of uh, you know, unfortunate incident. But um, that's how I see it. I think it, the global, the global, por- the global part of it is more uh, accentuated or, or, or makes the problem much larger from a, from a comparison perspective to what happened in 9-11. And um, the time period, I think, is going to be longer where there's no, act- no or limited activity, which means I think the recovery is going to be equally you know, move to the right because of that length of time that we're going to be shut down. What do you think, Tim? I, I agree with, you know, you know, it's like uh, seeing reports that like, uh, uh, like compass uh, shut down operations already. You know, it's uh, a lot of these uh, feeder airlines, the way that the structure is made up, they're uh, underneath of an uh, umbrella of uh, larger compass being American and Delta. Um, the first flights that they're going to cut are those, you know, so that's the, uh, that's, that's the deal. It's like, Hey, they get their orders from, uh, from motherland and, and uh, shut down operations altogether. You know, um, as far as, uh, as far as, as comparing to nine 11, you know, it's just like the fear is, uh, the fear is there. The fear was there during nine 11. People were scared to get on an airplane uh, for, for some time. You know, and it might not have affected everybody. And some people needed to get on the airplane. They needed to get places to uh, conduct their business and their life. Um, I think that we're we're uh, in in that similar situation now. You know, and I, I mean, I, I see opportunities for yes, business aviation. You know, for companies that can afford to fly their people around. Um, but also, um, you know, airlines are going to have to start looking at, uh, at how they're how they're going to make their comeback and. And uh, maybe even regulators start looking at how they're going to make their comeback as far as uh, not only cleaning the aircraft uh, on a higher scale, but uh, looking at uh, reconfiguring uh, reconfiguring cabins so that people uh, have more separation uh, on the aircraft and uh, reduce the, uh, the load factors of the aircraft to reduce the capacity rather than just parking airplanes and trying to cram as many people in like... Uh, like it's been a business model uh, globally, you know. So, yeah, that's. Uh, it'd, it'd be nice to be able to have that uh, crystal ball and be able to know what the future's going to bring uh, on all of this. But I think, I think the uh, the, the word that can uh, that can sum up is de- devastating for the aerospace industry. And you know, uh, Tim, you mentioned something you know interesting earlier. You used to work at an airline. Um, just a little bit perspective from you. 
what do you think it's like being at an airline if you're not certain you know if you're not a pilot or maybe a maintenance technician someone who's directly touching the aircraft you know every every you know several days or so what is it like for sort of the non you know non-pilot positions in an airline are they kind of like you know almost every other business in in the you know in the u.s and, and worldwide right now kind of working from home waiting for information trying to understand when they can get back to normal as well i would say some of them probably are you know i mean we just heard the announcement that boeing uh, shut down i actually talked to one of the guys that's on the uh in the delivery center out of seattle you know and they got uh sent home yesterday uh would pay for a couple of weeks and uh, just shutting down operations, you know. And I, I mean, I see the uh, the airlines. The the problem with the uh, you know like parking airplanes, uh, an airplane takes a lot more uh, manpower to keep it uh, keep it alive when it's on the ground than when it's uh, when it's flying. So it's going to actually increase the uh, the demand on maintenance folks. While uh, obviously the pilots will be uh, not not be getting their hours in for for that month, but uh, for for other people, you know, I mean, I, I I really my heart goes out to all the flight attendants and gate agents and uh, and baggage handlers as well, you know, for uh, all the contact that they're uh, they're being exposed to while they're uh, just just trying to do their normal job. You know, so there's there's some of those jobs that they're absolutely they're service jobs, just like the uh, the clerk at the grocery store or the attendant at the gas station that uh, is uh, is required to have contact with people uh, pretty much all day long. Uh, and uh, those are the people that are they're probably uh, high at, at a high high risk. You know, just kind of like the uh, medical professionals. And so, what you know, you mentioned something very interesting there as well that you're parking airplanes and that does require increased, you know, maintenance needs. Um, while we're in this period right now where we just don't know what's going to happen in the future um, long term, what steps do you all think airlines need to be taking in order to survive this sort of indefinite period where they're facing travel restrictions from a regulatory level and then try to remain financially healthy, pay their employees who are not working right now? Um, what are what, you know, what can airlines really do in this time period right now that's just kind of indefinite? Well, I think they're 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 just they're they're in the position that like the rest of us that it have, have to be reactive. You know, obviously the mechanic can't work on the airplane from home, and and uh, the pilot isn't going to be flying the airplane from home. You know, and uh, so there, I I think that uh, I think that unfortunately I think that continued uh, furloughs are are inevitable for the uh, for the whole the whole sector, you know, I mean, there was, there was several of the suppliers already, uh, for allowing people, you know, just because of the issues that they, we had with the max, uh, with those aircraft ground and which surprisingly, you know, my understanding is they, uh, they're, they're still taking care of those airplanes, the, uh, the max aircraft, you know, I'm, I think a lot of them are uh, stored in places that there isn't going to be a lot of contact because it's, uh, it requires very few people, not like, uh, not like building an airplane or uh, or maintaining one in a heavy check uh, environment where there's a lot of uh, a lot of people around, a lot of contact. It's uh, more individual people that are uh, taking care of tasks on the airplane. So it's probably safe actions to uh, to carry on with. Yeah, and 
I think that uh, you might see a, a little bit different um, view going forward from the airlines and the aircraft makers. Uh, Tim and I actually um, messaged back and forth about this earlier about how uh, airlines and Boeing, and we don't <clears throat> keep track of Airbus a whole lot because they're not, they don't, I mean, we do, but uh, from a financial standpoint, it doesn't affect the U.S. a whole lot. And, you know, they, they have that whole Boeing Airbus sort of a competition thing is going on strong and, always, and probably always will. But Boeing and, and the U.S. majors have done a lot of stock buyback, right? Instead of having the cash on hand, they've been buying back a lot of stock, billions and billions and billions worth. So it will be interesting to see if going forward, if they take some of those profits and they, and they, they, they keep them. Uh, rather than buying back stock, I mean, and that will hold that that will hold stock prices down. I mean, technically speaking, buying back stock shouldn't make a stock more attractive, but for some reason, for investors, it does. So um, there there might be a a, a difference in how they do that uh, in the future. But to get to that point, I think one thing is that that there's been a lot of stimulus with regard to interest rates, so airlines will be able to borrow money easier and cheaper. So that's probably going to be one way that they can, uh, probably the largest way that they're going to be able to bridge the gap between now and, and, and when it's time for them to recover. It's just a matter of how much they're going to be able to borrow and how long it's going to be able to last them. Um, and then how, and they'll hung, how long that recovery is going to take until demand returns, which I don't think it's going to take a whole lot of time to, to for the demand to return, but it's going to take quite a while for them to regenerate what we had going before the virus hit. Uh, in order to get everything back to where it was, you know, before then. And do either of you also have any thoughts about um, just from an aviation regulator or government official perspective, um, you know, in, in watching the uh, CEOs of Boeing and Airbus this week, uh, Boeing did a, a CNBC interview yesterday, Airbus did an online video statement, and both of them were calling on governments to support the industry with, you know, short-term liquidity package. Um, can you all give your thoughts on that? Um, is some type of government assistance going to be necessary to get the airline industry back to normal? Well, first of all, if you look at it from a, a baseline perspective, both of those companies already get subsidies to a certain degree anyways. Uh, and, and that's what they've been fighting over with uh, in, in the uh, the World Trade Organization for quite some time is Airbus says Boeing gets unfair treatment because they get contracts from the U.S. government. And then the, Boeing says Airbus gets unfair treatment because they get subsidies from um, the EU. So, and they've, they've both, from what I understand, I haven't gotten too too much, but they've had these lawsuits back and forth, and Airbus has won some, Boeing has won some, and so um, when they when they both say that they're going to need some liquidity and and whatnot to operate, look, whatever they need at some point, they're going to get because it, it it's kind of like the the 2008 financial crisis when when the banks were going to go under, um, and and the U.S. government propped them up so they wouldn't. Now there was obviously some treasury investment in that, which Boeing has come out today and said they don't maybe don't want any part of that because they don't want to have the treasury have any, any control over any part of their company. Uh, they don't want that as a stipulation of that uh, 50- or $60 billion they were requesting uh, for a bailout, for less, lack of a better term. But again, just like with the airlines, Boeing is going to be able to borrow money at a very low rate, uh, assuming people will loan it to them, 
to bridge that gap until they are able to reestablish, um, you know, the, I don't want to say status quo, but at least the, the business that they were generating before the coronavirus, which like Tim had, has mentioned was sort of knocked down a little bit by 737 max. But even though that, uh, that, that's still ongoing and Tim just talked about the, the line shutting down, um, for a couple of weeks, they've also said that they're going to start, they were going to restart 737 max in April and May. So they've, and they've alerted their, their, uh, supply chain to that. So, um, they have a plan and the neither government, uh, the U S government nor the EU are going to let either one of those companies fail. And so my guess is most of whatever they are re- going to be requiring to, to make it from now until the end of this, you know, pandemic and this crisis is what they're going to get. And, um, I mean, uh, there may be stipulations tied to it. Um, but I'm sure they're going to work it in their, to their advantage because they're for-profit companies and they know that the uh, industry is going to demand these airplanes for, you know, the foreseeable future. They're the only two that do it. And for any other company to go and do that would just cost way too much in order to build that capacity up for regard to building large aircraft at scale. So, um, it's going to be really interesting to see how long this all takes and how, and how it all plays out. And there's several scenarios at the end, and we could probably talk hours about some of those different scenarios, but all in all, um, you know, in a few years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to say, you know, Airbus and Boeing are pretty much in the same position they were before the pandemic. I think. What do you have, Tim? Yeah, I think I think you're uh, I think you're on there, uh, Mike. And uh, I just want just wanted to say a little bit about the uh, about the airlines. You know, it's like the uh, biggest thing for the U.S. airlines have been in in really good shape here the last uh, several years and uh, making making crazy money uh we've already seen it in uh in europe uh as well as other parts of the world where airlines are not set up uh financially like that and they're uh, a lot of debt and uh closing operations because they they're going broke not not uh not just to stop the the, uh the uh disease and uh, that's that's where it's like I think that there's a, a lot of airlines that are going to be going under. So we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot more consolidations. You know that I think that you know like as a result of 9/11, that's what kind of uh, pushed the uh, consolidation into the big three in the U.S. That uh, it, it probably was going to happen anyways, but I think the 9/11 accelerated that a little bit. Uh, the deal is though, it, it doesn't happen uh, tomorrow. It uh, I mean. It, for all that stuff to happen, you know, it took a decade of uh, of getting things aligned to consolidate those big airlines, uh, turn it turn them into something. I think also that the airlines uh, in the U.S. that 9/11 made them a lot stronger. Uh, yes, because of the consolidation, but uh, more because of the lessons learned from uh, from 9/11. They trimmed a lot of fat. And, you know, you look at you look at uh, a lot of the uh, the rankings of the airlines around the world, the best airlines and the most comfortable airlines and all that stuff. And uh, the U.S. airlines haven't been on there in the last few years. But the thing is, they have, they have been making money and they they do have cash. So it's like they uh, they they trimmed down, they've leaned their operations and. Uh, they're they're probably best suited to uh, weather the storm of uh, of a lot of the airlines uh, across the globe. So 
we'll see how it we'll see how how it pans out. Yeah, and to add to what we've been talking about overall is we've been talking about airlines. We've been talking about the the large aircraft makers. What we haven't hit on really is the supply chain and the suppliers. And I think that might be uh, something that tells more of the story over the next couple of years of to how this um, how, how aerospace industry recovers because uh, a lot of those small parts uh, or spare parts manufacturers or small companies or or you know smaller companies they're going to be hit much harder by this than a larger company that has, you know, a diversified portfolio that can sort of weather the storm by um, selling more of what they have on hand. Um, that's not aerospace related. That's, you know, sort of uh, insulated from the, the decrease in demand for whatever aerospace parts they do make. Um, but those are the, I think we're going to see some, issues with the supply chain the company is possibly going out of business because they're small companies they can't afford to go this long without any kind of income coming in and you know they, they might be able to get small business loans uh at low rates too but i think in the end we're going to see a, a a problem there and from what i understand i'm not the supply chain expert uh you know tim and some of my other analysts are more uh versed on the <clears throat> the intricacies of supply chain but understand the supply chain overall wasn't in the best shape anyways so and i know companies uh, the larger companies have been working on ways to streamline and prop up and um help the the companies that are in the supply chain but you know when you have something like this that interrupts all that so you have the kind of double whammy of being in the midst of trying to uh, prop up a supply chain and trying to figure out how to help businesses that are already small businesses um, weather a storm that's, you know, they may not be able to weather because of the, you know, the, the widespread and just the, the, the sheer magnitude of this, the pandemic. Exactly. And, and just you know, to add to that, you know, no, I just, I just wanted to add to that, you know, it's like, yeah, there, there has just in the, in the recent years, especially with the uh, aircraft manufacturers, there's been a lot of uh, vertical integration, uh, picking up suppliers just because they weren't able to uh, get all the uh, get all the uh, materials to them and parts as they needed uh, when they needed them. So there's been a lot of vertical integration, and uh, it's, it's it is going to be interesting to see how, uh, especially some of these uh, single source providers, if they're not able to make it, what are the uh, OEMs going to do? You know, and that doesn't just affect uh, one OEM; it affects all of them as, as well as the airlines. So there's, at the same time, you know, it's, uh, it is it's going to it's going to create opportunity for uh, for other businesses to move in, and uh, other suppliers, and even even other industries to be able to uh, jump into a space that uh, they weren't able to uh, to enter into uh, in the past. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just really just, like I said, information seems to change every single day about this situation. So, uh, but wanted to say thanks again to Mike and Tim Frost and Sullivan for joining us. I'm sure we'll be looking to follow up with uh, each of you, you know, hopefully when we get on the other side of this thing and um, see how it all shakes out. So thanks again to both of you for joining us today. Thank you much. Thanks, Woodrow. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. We'll be releasing three more episodes looking at the impact of the coronavirus on the industry in the coming weeks. 
uh, focusing on business aviation, solutions providers, and finally, connectivity professionals. So tune in next week for another look at the global aviation landscape. My name is Woodrow Bellamy III, and thanks again for listening.